Hi, my name is John Katsavos and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about the secret of how to drop 10 to 15 pounds and keep it off with complete ease. I've created a free three-part video series for you that explains what the three biggest mistakes people make when they're working out and limits them to the results that they're going after. I am also going to help you get all the details about how you can immediately sign up to the 21 day caveman challenge, which is a do it for you workout program. This has been developed by me for over 11 years of my experience as a professional personal trainer. So go ahead, put in your name and your primary email address, click the link in the show notes below right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Andrew Pateras from Royal LePage. Andrew has been excelling at selling real estate in Toronto since 2006. He consistently produces top results and has received some of the industry's highest awards and accolades for sales excellence. Andrew is not, for Andrew, it is not about the numbers. While he is innately driven to succeed, Andrew's primary focus has always been his clients. He has traveled to 53 different countries on six continents around the world. He has also qualified for the WBFF back in 2009, 2010, 2011, and the male physique at Olympia back in 2011 and 2012. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. So, how are you handling this new lockdown? Well, as, as well as I can. I mean, uh, what can you do? We're, I'm, I'm kind of used to it now. It's been a year. Um, not happy about it, but uh, it's out of our hands. I mean, if... Uh, if people just said that's enough, it would be that's enough. But I think people are just uh, a little bit too complacent. I think so, too. I honestly think so, too. So uh, what made you like you've you've traveled quite extensively when the when there was no lockdown and none of this garbage that's going on? What was the initial thing that got you to say, you know what, I'm going to go see the world? Well, my parents had always uh, been interested in traveling. We did a lot of road trips when we were kids, starting from when we were very young. Maybe we went to Florida and did like a big trip in Florida when I was five, I think. That was the first trip we took. So we, I always liked traveling. We went to Greece when I was a kid, like 12 years old. Uh, but the travel bug really bit me when I got my job with Gap Adventures. They're now called G Adventures. Um, I worked for them for a little while, about a year, year and a half. But during that time... I was doing travel talks at trade shows and uh, training different travel agencies and whatnot. And I would go there and I would talk about the trips that we did. And uh, Gap Adventures sent me to one of their amazing trips down to, um, to Peru. And I saw 
the uh, the Amazon River Basin, and we went to. Uh, I didn't do Machu Picchu and 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 that that trip. We did more of like kind of a wildlife adventure trip, uh, and that's where it really started. So shortly after that, I had a bit of a, bit of a, a change in life, um, and then I really was able to to open the taps on the traveling, uh, and I, I ended up traveling for about six months of every year, for about five straight years. Between three to six months, I was I was out of the country. I was basically a snowbird. That's amazing. Which was your favorite country? So it's hard to say. There's so many. I've been to 53, but I'd say in my top few, uh, Cambodia was near the top of the list just because it's, uh, it's beautiful. And it was so raw and the tourism didn't really hit when I was there. Uh, Thailand is also for the same reasons, also beautiful beaches. And just, I, I love to, I love deals and I love shopping and you know, Chattuchak Market is my favorite place to shop in the whole world. And I think number one, though, is Australia. Australia was the number one place that I've been just because I was there for three months the first time and I had so much fun. I had a lot of family down there and it was just an incredible experience. I saw almost the entire country. That's amazing. Uh, I know. I know. Um, you have Cambodia as one of your favorites. Actually, it's one of my worst. <laughs> one of your worst. Oh, yeah. You got sick there, didn't you? I got sick there. Yeah, I got sick and um, had a very interesting experience. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes that's part of the adventure, I guess. You have to look, take the good with the bad. I got really sick this, um, the first time I was in India, and I actually missed my, uh, my flight to, to Nepal. It would have been 54 countries. Um, but what can you do? Dubai is also another place that I love, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to do something around. <laughs> that, I learned this in Dubai. I'd never smoked a thing in my life. And I tried hookah in D Dubai because it smelled so good. And now on a nice day, this is my one vice. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. But you smoke hookah. Once in a while, hookah. It's a nice, relaxing <laughs> hobby, you know? Uh, that's all right. That's all right. We all have our vices. You got that. You got that right. You got that right. It's not that bad. I, You know, once every month or so on a nice day. Yeah. Um, you actually, we're going to go back a little bit and dig a little bit deeper with your traveling, but, uh, I also want to touch up a little bit on your, um, your bodybuilding competition a little bit, but just, a, just a small snippet. I talked to all my clients about not having them to worry about becoming to look like a bodybuilder. So how much effort have you put in to get on stage? Um, it's your whole life. It's a full-time job. When I was competing, that was my off season for work. So, uh, sorry, it was my off season for travel. So back then I was a wedding photographer and I would work one day a week, um, either one to two days a week, usually a Saturday and a Sunday I'd be shooting the weddings. And then I would literally have the rest of the week to work out. So I would be at the gym literally eight hours a day, six to eight hours a day, you know, two to three hours of cardio in the morning. Uh, it was an insane lifestyle. Plus, the, you, you can't maintain that type of body year round. It's impossible. Um, I'd say that to, to have that male physique body that I had literally was a full-time job. You need six to eight hours a day, five to six days a week. And the amount of preparation for foods, uh, I was just lucky. The job that I had was pretty much only one day a week or two days a week of work. And the rest of the time, it was just editing the images at my computer, which I did either, you know, 
in the morning or late at night when I wasn't working out. And literally it was a full-time job. Yeah. And that's what I try and keep. That's why I try and tell them. So what brought you to do that? No, I, I don't remember what, what clicked in me. I, I just, I was about to, I think I was just leaving for Australia, like a couple, I was leaving for Australia in like a month. And I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try to get my body in the best condition I've ever had. I just got motivation that year just to change everything, just to change my entire way of life, my entire way of thinking. And I think it was, that happened in the summer. And I left for, I, I called my second birthday, November the 5th is the day I left for that first trip, that three month trip to Australia that changed everything. So uh, I think it was in the summer. So about three months, I was in incredible shape and it led up to the first WBFF, um, the championship that I did. Um, and I was in the best condition I'd ever been in. The, the, I just, I'm just happy I have those pictures because I've, I don't think I could ever get to that condition again. Uh, but it was just incredible. And so what got me to do that was just something clicked in my head. I said, you know what, I'm just going to push my body to the physical limit of what fitness goals I can accomplish. And I'm a very motivated person. When I put my mind to something, I do not stop until I get it. Mm -hmm. Have, uh, were there any times during that journey where you wanted to quit? Of course, of course there the thing is, it's all it's all in mental capacity. I find myself when I, when I was younger, I found myself very distracted. Um, what I did learn when I got older was how to focus, and really how to focus on a goal. If you have a goal that you can focus on and stay, I can stay laser focused on something. And when I'm dieting, like I'll give you an example. This year during COVID, it was hard on all of us. And my, my one thing, I say I have, have one vice, but my real vice is food. I love food. And I love really rich and fatty and unhealthy foods. Deep fried things are my favorite things to eat. And this year, I literally put on 40 pounds. From last year, March, I, I was in great shape in March, the best shape I'd been in since I was competing. And COVID hit, and I ended up being in about seven, eight months later, fast forward to about Christmas time, I would say. And I was in the worst shape of my life. I was 231 pounds. Um, and I realized that I have to do something. So I drastically changed my lifestyle again. Because I have two small kids at home. I said, I want longevity in my life. I want health. I want wellness. So I hyper-focused. I, I laser-focused on getting healthy again. And those 40 pounds that I had lost from January 1st until the middle of February, I had lost 38 pounds of that. So in about seven to eight weeks, I'd lost most of it. So it's, it's staying motivated is, is being able to focus on a goal and you have to stay super focused on that goal. What would you say? What would you say to somebody that is having trouble? Um, because I see it all the time where people, they have this set goal and they're laser focused like you are for like two, three weeks, but after two, three weeks, that just has a tendency of just fading away into the netherworld. What's one thing that you could say to somebody like that to say, you know what, just keep focused or how one of my, re one of my real estate mentors, and, and this goes for everything you're doing. He taught me something, what you measure gets improved. What you measure gets improved. I'll say it a second time. So instead of not stepping on your scale out of fear of, of what the scale is going to tell you, I get on that scale three times a day. And I want to see, and what you measure gets improved. And if I see myself go up a pound or half a pound, then my workout will get a little more intense. 
And I'm, I'm serious, measuring your, your, your accomplishments and your goals and basically judging yourself based on the measurement really helps the focus level. And being afraid to get on that scale is actually, that was working against me because you'd get surprised, you know, you'd, you'd go two weeks, three weeks without getting on that scale and you're up five, six pounds and putting on five or six pounds is easy, but losing it is very difficult. So literally three to four times a day, I would get on that scale and I have the cardio sp scale spelled Q-A-R-D-I-O. Fantastic scale. It's one of the only BMI uh, scales that actually zaps your body. It doesn't take a calculation. And I did a lot of research and that thing is fantastic. Uh, and it's telling me my body fat percentage, my lean muscle mass, it's telling me my BMI. And it, it basically measures every day. And you can see a graph and you see that graph. When you start seeing that graph do that over the time, it's just incredible what that does to your mental capacity and your ability to, to focus on your goals. Yeah, absolutely. So you worked your butt off. You worked your ass off for almost, I don't know how a year was it for, to get onto the stage? Uh, each time I'd say between the first time, six to 12 weeks, that's kind of the, the real hardcore, you know, measuring and weighing your food and measuring how much water your intake is. And, and basically just giving your body the, the only, the amount it needs to survive. That's it. No additional calories, no additional protein. It's, it's completely measured lifestyle. It's, it's not something that you could do long-term. And I'll tell you something, it, it tends to make you yo-yo because your mood swings down. And as you get to the competition, you really want that, that final cheat meal. And that one cheat meal leads to a lot more. So it's better to, to stay kind of on a level instead of just yo-yoing like I was back then. I'd go from, you know, I was 220, 225 on off season. And I would drop as low as 175 at six foot four, which is extremely low, like stage weight. Very, very different huge mm -hmm. swings of weight. What was the feeling that you got when you were on that stage? I, I really, the feeling to me, it wasn't really about being the stage. To me, it was about looking in the mirror and seeing what I had accomplished. You know, I was never really a person that liked fame or popularity. It never really, never really fizzed on me. I didn't really like, like, that's why I don't advertise. I don't like having my name out there so much. Um, but to me, it was all about my personal goal my personal goal was to, to feel and look good and, you know, and see everything chiseled, like, like you're carved out of wood. That was the main motivation for me. The feeling on the stage, it was, I could have had it or I couldn't have, like if I just stood in front of the mirror, uh, it, it probably would have had the same effect. It was nice to place um, in the competition to, to get recognized for hard work, but I'm really tall. So my legs were never big enough to, to really place high. So I was just happy to place. Uh, switching gears a little bit, that's great. And you got a lot of great nuggets in there. Um, let's talk back at about your, your past a little bit. And like I, like we said before, you've been to like 53 different countries, but Africa specifically stood out for you. Why? Yes. Africa was a weird one. So after my initial big trip, that was in I left in November 2008. I came back in about March 2009. Uh, the next year, I knew I was going somewhere. So I'm thinking, where can I go that's really, really something I've never seen before? Because at that point, then I'd seen Australia, I'd seen Asia, uh, I'd seen South America. 
but I, I've never stepped foot in Africa. So, and I, growing up, I used to watch um, documentaries with my dad, Wild Kingdom, you know, the World Wildlife uh, Fund, like all these amazing, amazing shows on wildlife. And because I used to do talks on, on these amazing adventure tours, I, uh, I thought, you know what, Africa is the next step. So I looked into it and there was an overland trip that Gap Adventures, G Adventures was offering back then. And it was from Cape Town to Nairobi. It was 10,000 kilometers in a truck over the course of about two months. And the way I timed it was right at the end of the trip, it finished in Nairobi. But I would, um, I would in Tanzania, I would take a break and I would, uh, I would climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I was going to summit Kilimanjaro. So I don't know what, what led me to that, but it was, it was kind of a, a bunch of different things. And that trip, I've told you this before, it changed my entire life from seeing raw wildlife like kills and vultures flying over and, and, and incredible things, thousands and thousands of zebras. The first zebra you see in Africa, you lose your mind. The same thing with the first giraffe you see. By the end of those two months, a zebra could have walked right by me, you know, and brushed up against me and it would not have phased me at all because they're just everywhere. So it, it was just life changing in that respect, but also you see the other side with the way people live, you know, and you see these commercials with these kids that are, have like a fly landing on their head and stuff and, and no shirt and no shoes. And like, you'd give them a pencil and they would, you'd never seen some, someone so happy and content and they don't know what a BMW is and they don't know what Hugo Boss is and they don't know what these brands are, but they're genuinely happy with nothing. And it really makes you think, what am I worried about? I really have no problems when you compare the problems these people have. They don't know when their next meal is coming from. You know, some of these countries are war-torn, run by warlords. Um, it's dangerous. I was going through the, um, the townships of some of the worst areas in South Africa. South Africa. And it's, it's very eye-opening to see we're worried about, oh, they don't have my Nikes in stock. But these people literally haven't had shoes in their entire life. I saw one guy, he had made shoes out of flat water bottles and rope. And it really opens your eyes to say, you know what? My problems really aren't that deep. That's so true. That's so true. I kind of got that, the same thing uh, with my Southeast Asia trip. Seeing it like firsthand, it's like, I, I'm really rich what I have back home compared it's, to it's, them so true so true asia asia there is a lot of poverty in asia um but when you and you'll probably get there eventually but africa and, and india india as well those are two places that really changed the way i look at life yeah but definitely on my bucket list it's just whenever we're allowed to travel again let's get that started immediately <laughs> I agree. Um, you've also done some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff from bungee jumping in New Zealand, in New Zealand, I believe it was sky and Africa and Africa skydiving in Australia and some trying to summit Kilimanjaro. What brought you to do these like dangerous stunts? My fear of doing them. That's what, what pushed me. I've always been afraid of heights. Well, I, I used to be afraid of heights. I guess that's out the window now that I've jumped out of planes and jumped off bridges. Um, I also, I was always afraid of drowning. Like that's one thing. I don't like the feeling of being underwater very long. 
And I did scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef, on the outer reef with sea turtles swimming above me and reef sharks. And like, uh, you know, there's pictures of me holding like a sea cucumber and it's incredible things that I've done, but it was, it was all driven based on my fears, you know, and, and the, the drowning one was an incredible experience. Like I, um, in Africa, I bungee jumped off, off the bridge between uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia over Victoria Falls. So just, just uh, a little bit, about a kilometer from Victoria Falls. And the next day after I did that, I went, I went white water rafting. It was a beautiful sunny day. And we had such, we had the best time ever. And the whitewater rafting company, we were there for three days, at Victoria Falls. And there was a number of excursions we could have picked from. So the one I picked was the first day I picked whitewater rafting. And I loved it so much. I said, let's go back and do it again the next day. Well, the next day it was raining. And I didn't know what, was, what we were in for. First day was an easy day. The raining day. Now, it must have been raining far away because that river was not the same river from the day before. Our raft flipped over on a class five. And I was sucked down a whirlpool and I, it was so dark. Like they teach you to, to open your eyes and blow bubbles and to see which way is up because you're supposed to follow the bubbles. But I was in a whirlpool and it was black. And they had told me that the part of, of water, that the area of the river that I was in was 90 meters deep. So I have no idea how deep I was. And um, I just, I was kicking and thrashing. And I, I wrote about it in my blog at the time too. And I said, I, I said to myself, I said, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to see God now. And I, I stopped swimming. I just let my arms go to the sides and I relaxed. And I said, that's it. That's my, my life's over. And I popped out of the water like a cork. And, you know, <gasps> and you see like the world again. And I, I thought my life was over. And I saw like every picture I've ever in my brain just went in, a, in an instant. I just saw it right before I popped out of the water. It was an incredible experience. And all that, all that, all that led up to that was just my fear of doing stuff. Maybe not the smartest thing to do, but that, that's what led me to do it. <laughs> that's okay. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the biggest, the biggest falls brings the most clarity in our lives and brings also the biggest changes in our lives. Would you say that that was the biggest change that you had during your travels? Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, you know, uh, the skydive was a big one, um, jumping out over the Great Barrier Reef and landing in Northern Australia, uh, you know, swimming under a waterfall in North Australia. That was just like a moment that I can just I can see the picture in my head right now, you know, taking photos of hyenas and, and lions, you know, uh, interacting, sitting in a tent in Africa. That, that was another thing. Africa wasn't a trip where I was staying in hotels. We were we were camping for two months. So we'd be in a tent literally a tent and I would hear lions I would hear hyenas and I don't know how far they are but you can hear them clearly they didn't sound very far away like opening a zipper one night I, that's when I got really sick one time was in the Nagorogoro crater I had to go use the bathroom at the campsite so I had to walk and I opened the zipper and I see two green glowing eyes looking right at me from about 10 feet away I get my flashlight it's a wildebeest so I had to walk around this wildebeest to go to the bathroom at like three o'clock in the morning. You know, you hear girls screaming. The, the guides are telling you, don't bring any food in your tents. And a warthog ripped through the tent to get the, the cookies these girls brought in their tent. Like, listen to your guides. You know, these are things that they're vividly burned into my memory. I remember the screams of these girls like from 30 feet away. Crazy things. Um, again, switching gears uh, and getting down to the knit and gritty of why you're here 
you have been nominated for man of the year for the leukemia and lymphoma society of, of Canada. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I am going to be posting a link so people can actually help uh, make donations in your name for this great organization, but you've been nominated because of your grandmother. Correct. Your grandmother had it. Is that right? She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She passed away about 10 years ago. And sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish, finish. So yeah, she passed away about 10 years ago. And almost at the exact same time, one of my closest friends, his daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And his whole family basically moved into Sick Kids Hospital for the better part of two and a half years. So I saw what the effects of something like this, a childhood disease, does to a family it's not just the person and the parents but it's everyone connected to the family and the organization does a lot to help these families um, to whether it's financial means or just a support system um, they also they also fund a lot of research that goes into uh, cures and treatments and uh, that, that helps with, with these things like my friend's daughter is in remission for, for now for over 10 years but the uh, a lot of the families, like just give you an example, my friend was telling me about this uh, this one family. They'd sold their house. They lived in New Brunswick. They sold their house. They moved to Toronto because Sick Kids is the best hospital in Canada, one of the best hospitals in the world for for leukemia treatment. And their whole community is donating money to help them. And you know you don't know if your your child is going to live or or die through this entire ordeal. And at the end of it, you're broke anyway, because you've sold everything to be close to your child at, at Sick Kids. And I'll be honest with you, it really strikes a chord with me because I have two small children and I don't even want to imagine what it's like to be one of these parents. So whatever I can do to help money, to raise money for this organization, I want to do it. And please, if you're, if you're out there and if you're listening, donate whatever you can, five, 10, 20, a thousand. You know, I got clients that have donated a thousand dollars already, and we've just started the campaign and we're doing very well already. And the entire man woman of the year campaign, they're budgeting to, to, to raise over $700,000 for research and support. That's a big amount of money for one small 10 week campaign. So I'm, I'm begging you, please donate to the organization and you're, you'll really be helping people that need the help and, and, and research that's, that's really needed in a year where all charities, all charities are really struggling for donations. Everyone's worried about their own lives, which is extremely important, obviously, but they've kind of, charities fallen by the wayside. Their, their, their donations are extremely down from, from past years. So I think that's why it's more important now that we, we realize that, you know, giving back to something like this, I'm giving a lot of my time and effort uh, and taking time away from work and my family to, to, to raise money for, for this great cause. So I'm hoping everybody uh, donates and, and, and gets involved. I think it's important for uh, what you just said, just to regurgitate on what you just said. Um, I think it's important for people to understand that um, it's not the fact that you're going to be out money. It's the fact that you are going to give money back into, into the world. So that when the world does see that it will pay you back tenfold. And I've seen it and time and time again. It's true. It always comes back. And, uh, you know, God forbid someone's kid or someone's relative 
gets leukemia or lymphoma or any of the blood cancers that, that the LLSC supports, um, you will have that support system and you know that you've, you've done your part in, in, in supporting something that's really good. On top of that, whatever you donate, anything above, I think it's $25, you get a tax receipt for it as well. So not only is it a feel-good thing, you know, you can give your money to an organization that's going to help people instead of giving it to the government that's just going to throw your money in the garbage anyway. Yeah, yeah. And that's now, the way I look at it. I, I think that's a, it's a, it's, it's a double it's a double positive, you know, helping the organization and uh, getting a great tax benefit as well. It's, it's a double feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now you obviously have been affected by um, non-Hodgkin's uh, non lymphoma from, did I say that right? Leukemia, yes, non-Hodgkin's leukemia from yeah, your grandmother. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. When you heard the news, how did that make you feel? I was a little young. I was in my early, like early, well, what is it? I was, a, how can I say it? It's only 10 years ago and I was in my thirties. So I was a little more immature then. And that's at the point where I was doing a lot of traveling. Uh, I only realized later that it was, it was something very serious uh, and something that I should be involved in. So uh, at that moment, it affected me because I lost my grandmother, obviously. But it was years later that I, that I realized that after that, I saw seeing my friend go through what he went through. And, you know, my grandmother lived to, to an older age, seeing, seeing a young person go through it and seeing what, what a family, what a family goes through. That's kind of what really woke me up and, and got my eyes open and said, Hey, listen, I, I feel like I, you know, I can do something, you know, whether it's donate money out of my own pocket or get involved like I'm doing and, you know, motivating people to donate money and, and reach in their pockets uh, for, for the organization. That's great. Um, what about the parents? What about your parents? Did it affect you? Did you notice anything with your, with your folks when, when they found out the news? Well, to be honest with you, my parents are, are old school Greek and their parents are even older school Greek. So what, they didn't even tell my grandmother what she had. Because if they told her, they'd figure she's just going to give up on life. Uh, and I think she lived with it for a year. 11 years. She lived with it for 11 years without knowing about it. So um, I think that if they had told her earlier, I think that she would have given up. And, you know, she was in and out of the hospital. Uh, and and she, she survived a a long time after being diagnosed um, because they kept it from her. So I think that that's one lesson learned that don't ever be afraid to fight. The old school mentality of giving up is, is not the way to, to live your life. Absolutely. And your friend, obviously he's, uh, he's fighting and his daughter is daughter. I believe you said she's in full remission. Now she's actually fine. She's living life like a normal teenager. Um, she's, she's in full remission. So she's one of the lucky ones, you know, when they were at the hospital, they would see parents and, and get to know families and they'd see children losing their life and parents devastated. And they thought every day could have been them. They could have been mourning a daughter, you know, a three, four, five-year-old daughter. Um, so it's, it's really, it it's, gives you a sense of mortality. Like 
to have a child go through something like this when they don't even understand it and they get it three years old, it's heartbreaking to even think about because I have a three and a five-year-old right now. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a hard thing for, for any parent or aunt or uncle for that matter to, to be living through something like that. Like I can't even, I can't even imagine my nephew's, I don't even want to think about it. Like it's just the entire family from grandparents to cousins to uncles, aunts, uh, distant relatives, friends, everyone's affected, especially if you have a relationship with this child or the parents, it's, it's, it's an enormous burden to hold for the parents. Um, and they just want it to be over. So the organization really helps out with, with, uh, with all that. That's really, that's really good. That's really good. And I really hope that more organizations pop up with this because it's really important uh, because blood cancer, any form of cancer for that matter is just, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to do, to, to live with just for the patient and for the family as well. Um, Correct. And during COVID now people aren't even, aren't getting screened. I mean, I would say, push your doctor. If they're not, if they're not having screenings, push them for blood tests or whatever you need, especially if you have history of cancers in your family, I would say push your doctor for to get screened because I have another uncle that just passed away. He was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And a few weeks later he was gone. And that's a bad one. That's, survivability of that is very, very low, but it's, it's still good to get screened early because you could prolong your life and spend more time with your family. Yeah, absolutely. So the LLC charity, let's talk about them a little bit. We, I know we've been talking quite a bit about them. I want to talk a little bit more about them. Sorry. Um, where can they find more about the LLC? Sorry, the LLSC. Wow. Yes. So if you just go to... I think it's mwoy.com, manwomanoftheyear.com. I think that's the website. Um, I'm sure you're going to post the links up anyway. Mm-hmm. It tells about the diseases. It tells about what the program supports. Um, I can also provide you with, with some materials that I've been sending out about what they do, about what they support. Um, also about the other candidates as well. But you want to support me. Don't support the other <laughs> candidates. It's a, uh, it's a fundraising competition. So there's eight candidates in Toronto and whoever raises the most money is crowned man of the year for Toronto. And I'm trying to raise the most money nationwide. You know, there's, there's three cities running this campaign right now. And if I raise the most money out of all three cities that are doing this, Toronto, Halifax, Montreal, then I'll be man of the year for all of Canada. So uh, it's a great um, motivating thing. I'm a very competitive person. I like to be first all the time. So uh, I think they got the right guy to, to fight for first place. I think so too. How did your nomination come about? It's funny because um, someone I used to work with at Gap Adventures, we're friends on Facebook and we remained friends for, for many, many years. I worked there in 2006, 2007. So she's still on my Facebook and she said, she said uh, COVID had her in a really bad mood and she was feeling really down. So, and she loves to travel like I do. So what she do, she's like, I'm going to go to Andrew's Facebook and, and creep his pictures because he's been everywhere. And I just want to, you know, get in a good mood that way. So she went to my Facebook and she saw that I did the light the night walk for the LLSC back in, I think it was 2011. And she called me and said, Hey, you know, how are you connected to this? And I told her the story and she's like, well, you know, I want to have a call with you tomorrow with my boss. So they called me and they, they, they told me about the, the, the campaign and they said, you know, would you, 
accept the nomination for man of the year? And I said, of course I would. It's, it's a great honor. So that's how it came about. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. So you've been with, uh, you've been doing stuff with the LLSC for a while now. Yeah, I did the light the night walk back then and it's been dark. Like I just kind of, you know, life gets ahead of you and you get busy and, uh, you know, it's just the opportunity came about where I could do something really special. And, and I took the opportunity and I think that, uh, you know, I'm going to try to raise as much money as I can. Look, I'm competitive and whatnot, but the main thing is that I'm raising money. If I don't win, I don't win, but I'm going to try. But the main motivation here is just to support the organization. That's awesome. And this mostly goes to like, I'm trying to understand now with this whole blood cancer stuff, does this affect more children than adults? It affects both. The problem is the survivability when you get as an adult is much lower than when you are as a child. Children can get through it. Um, the the LLSC's website has the percentages, but the percentage is much lower on survivability uh, as an adult than when you're... If you're a kid, you can fight the, uh, the disease off better uh, and you can weather through the chemo and the radiation or whatever you need to do to, to get through it. Um, but it's much more survivable as a child. So... I mean, you still have to fight a lot and go through it, but um, it's uh, it's much easier when you're a child when a child uh, is diagnosed. I think there was uh, Mario Lemieux. I don't know if people out there in Europe or uh, everywhere else in the world that's listening to this know um, who Mario Lemieux is, but he's the uh, probably one of the top top two hockey players in in the world uh, in the past. Um, he also went through this, something similar to this. I don't remember. I'm, I'm not. I'm not familiar with it. I used. Oh. To, I was watching hockey when I was a kid. I haven't seen hockey in probably 25 years. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he went through it in the 90, early 90s. I think it was. He was okay. Diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He oh, he did. That, okay, I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. And uh, he, he maybe has, I should call him up for a donation. You should. You should. <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously I've already asked this question, how can people help? And, um, just for everybody out there listening, I will be posting all your links to the, with the show notes. So everybody has easy access to Andrew and everything. Um, I do want to get a little bit more into some of the more reasons of why you got so deeply more involved with this and it has to, is it, would you say it has to do more than um, just your family, but also a big piece of how you saw yourself in the past when you were doing all your travels and how, you know, you saw other people, you know, looking, seeing that they don't have the capability of helping themselves. So. I'm, I'm, I've always been a guy that I'm a, a bit of a rough exterior. And my wife will tell you that I'm not as rough on the inside as I am on the outside. I have a soft heart. And I get that from my mom. My dad's the tough guy. My mom's the softy. So I've always wanted to kind of help people, you know, whether it's bringing awareness with photos of, you know, I took photos of Ferraris driving by entire families living on the sidewalk in India, you know, just bringing awareness and, and telling people that, you know, be fortunate, feel very fortunate for what you have, even if it's small, because 
people would kill for your table scraps, the stuff that you throw in the garbage, people would kill for that in, in other places in the world. So uh, I think that that part of, of life for me is uh, like bringing awareness to, to people that are, you know, either suffering or uh, going through a hard time. I think that is one of my motivations for, for all of all of the stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. That's I I could see that I can see that now I've known you for quite some time so I I I know you from the outside on the inside as well so <laughs> don't tell anybody I'm not I'm not a jerk all right I don't want that getting you're out. not a jerk you're not a jerk <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about health as I'm smoking a hookah that's a oxymoron. <laughs> Well, a big part of health is being able to do the things that you love when you have a good, when you have the opportunity to do it. And if it if it is part, you know, hookah, then smoke a hookah. Just don't have it like habit habitual. No, reasonable. Listen, being reasonable and moderation is life. If you're too extreme on any one thing, something else is going to drop by the wayside. So you got to be reasonable. Like I said before. Uh, I don't have any other vices. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I, I don't do any type of drugs. I've never touched drugs in my life, actually. But I, the being reasonable, doing what you enjoy, not hurting others. These are just basic life lessons, basic life lessons, you know? Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. So we're going to slowly start uh, to wrap up the show. And I ask all my guests, these six or seven questions. So just okay. to get your insight on everything. And it kind of like basically like intertwines with what we were talking about today. Um, so with the increase in people suffering from depression, from the lockdowns, uh, what's the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? It's not going to be forever. Um the thing I don't like, and uh, you know this is, as everyone does, I don't like politicians. Um, I lead by example. I think these politicians should lead by example. If everyone's not getting paid, they should refuse the paycheck. If, if, if people are locked out of their businesses and unable to provide for their families, neither should they. They should be forced to, to live the same way that everyone else is living. You know, they're getting paid two, $300,000 a year while they're saying, you can't open your business and you can't fine. If you're going to do that, don't take, don't take the, your salary either refuse your salary, but none of them do. That's I don't like this. I don't like it at all. Sorry. What was the question again? I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> That's okay. Um, what's the one thing that you could tell people to, oh, keep, to keep their, their hopes, hopes up? up? It's not going to be forever. Uh, I would say focus on something that makes you happy. You know, whether it's, you know, you can still exercise, you can still walk, you know, going outside is not illegal. Go for a walk. The weather's getting really nice. It's beautiful in Toronto today. We're in Yorkville right now. You know, it's like, I don't know, 18 or 20 degrees. I'm sitting here in short sleeves outside in the sun. Get some sun, get some vitamin D. You know, the sunlight always makes you happier than if you're just sitting inside. You know, get some fresh air, get some exercise. Uh, it's This is not going to be forever. So just be mindful of, of your own mental well-being because you're the only person that knows you. You know, from the outside in, you could have a smile on, but, you know, you're the person that knows you. And if you do, if you are having a problem, reach out to a friend. 
you know, talk to someone, you know, meet up with them, go for a walk in a park, do something you really like to do, focus on something, have something to focus your energy on, whether it's exercising, whether it's anything, cooking, learn, learn something, get a hobby, get Rosetta Stone. I just bought Rosetta Stone, $200 for a whole lifetime, lifetime membership, learn a language, do something that keeps your focus off of what's going on right now. Because what I can't control, I shouldn't be focusing on. That's how I live my life. Try to focus on something you can control. Hold that control. Absolutely. That's great advice. Absolutely great advice. Uh, where do you see your real estate business in the next five years? It's tough to say. Nobody has a crystal ball. The market is increasing and going and going and going. And uh, I don't know. People have been talking about a market crash since I got into real estate in 2006, and it's still going. So uh, the Toronto real estate market is, 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 is amazing. It's great for investment opportunities. I've had clients that have made a fortune just flipping houses or buying a condo and renting it out and flipping that. Like, There's so much opportunity in this city. I just, I hope it continues. But right now, like I said, the politicians, I, I don't know what they're going to do. It, it all depends on what they're doing. So we're at the mercy of, uh, of other people right now, but I'll be honest with you from, from a professional standpoint, I don't, I don't see the market decreasing in the foreseeable future. That's good. That's good news. That's good news. What about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? retired on a beach. No, uh, <laughs> It's hard to say. I have two young kids. I want to spend time focusing on, on their uh, life. I'm very fortunate to spend a lot of time with my kids. My profession allows me to spend a lot of time with them uh, and enjoy their company while they're young. Um, my main focus is my, is my family. It always has been since I've been married. My focus is my wife. Now that I have kids, my focus is uh, my, my kids and my wife. And that's where my focus lies. So in the next five years, I want to watch my kids go from three and five to, you know, eight and 10. Just, just focus on that. I love what I do for work. I love showing condos and showing homes. Uh, you know, I've already said I'm very competitive. I love winning. I love winning for my clients. You know, uh, I... My, my wife calls me Ari Gold. When she hears me on the phone, she calls me Ari Gold, you know, the guy from Entourage. You know, I'm, I'm a very, very competitive salesperson. I like to win. I want to win. It's not my money. It's my client's money, but I want to win for them. So I, I really do love what I do. I see myself doing exactly what I'm doing right now, just five years from now. That's awesome. Uh, that's really, that's really awesome. It's, it's really good to hear uh, people uh, doing that kind of stuff like that, that makes them happy. Oh yeah. I, I really enjoy what I do. I have to say I've had some, like I've had a fantastic life. I've, I've been all, I've seen the world. I've been around the world multiple times. I've been to Asia. I've been, I've been to Asia three times. I've been to Africa. I've been to Europe more times than I can count. Um, I, I've seen the entire world and, and what the world has to offer. The only continent I'm missing is Antarctica. You know, I've seen everything, but I had an, actually a funny story, a side note. I had a trip booked to Antarctica when I worked at Gap Adventures and I was supposed to go on their ship. It was called the MS Explorer. They owned this ship and it was, uh, you know, it would go to Antarctica and would come back from, uh, and they'd leave from the South tip of, uh, of South Africa uh, or South America called Ushuaia. That's the port it left from. So I had this trip booked and 
I left the company, so I, I ended up not going on this trip. It's funny. And I ended up going to Florida, and I'm in the airport. And, you know, you have the news on the airport. I'm picking up my baggage, and it says, MS Explorer capsizes in Antarctica. And I look at my watch. I said, I was supposed to be on that ship right now. And the ship sank in Antarctica. It sank. And they had pictures of it listing and turning over. Now, no one died. Everyone evacuated on these rafts and they said it was a great adventure, but I don't want to be on a ship sinking in Antarctica. Sorry. That's not the adventure I wanted to sign up for, but it was just incredible. The life that I, that I was able to lead, you know, seeing the world and having this amazing family and a wife that I love dearly and kids, amazing two kids. I feel extremely fortunate. And I look at this campaign, the man, woman of the year campaign that I'm in right now. And I feel like, I want to give back because I have, I'm not missing anything. I'm not missing anything in my life right now. Nothing at all. I have my health, I have my family. So I feel like I can focus on this and, and give back a little bit. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I kind of touched up on my next question. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? That's a good question. What would I tell myself at 20? Find my wife earlier. <laughs> I wish I had 10 more years with her. I love my wife. I have the best wife in the world. Find your wife. Find my wife early. I'd say, look up this girl. Convince her that you want to be with her then. 10 years earlier. 15 years earlier. That's what I would have done. That's good. That's good. Uh, looking back, would you change anything? Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. I, I, I got to say nothing at all. That's, I love that. I love that answer. Everybody that I ask and they give me that answer. That's the most, that's the best answer I've heard. Uh, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? I sleep pretty soundly. You know, the, this whole COVID situation bothers me a little bit. I just want it to be over as everyone else does. Uh, but I sleep pretty good. More like what scares you? What scares me is what happened to my friend. I don't want anything to happen to my kids or have to worry about that. My kids are my main focus. My family is always my focus so i just uh i'm thankful and I'm, I'm i'm very uh very thankful that my kids are healthy and they're happy you know we we've gone out of our way to make sure that my kids aren't affected by anything going on right now in the world uh, i'm just glad they're young i know the teenagers are really affected by all this uh and if you're a teenager and you're listening please just uh find something to focus on and stay away from all the negative garbage out there. Awesome. Uh, where can people find more about you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I have a personal webpage, thepaterasteam.com. My wife and I work together. We're partners in work and partners in life. And uh, uh, thepaterasteam.com has links to all my social media as well. Awesome. And again, uh, I will be posting all his links all Andrew's links to with this uh, podcast. So everybody has easy access to uh, donate to this amazing 
uh, organization and charity, LLSC, the Leukemia, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. So it's, it's more on the lines of trying to help other others that are going through hard, harder times than we are. Um, any final thoughts? No, I just appreciate the time to talk and, you know, uh, the talk has brought up some really nice memories of my travels and uh, you know, better times. So I just hope everything goes back to normal. I would love to take my kids back to Europe this summer if possible. Uh, and uh, yeah, just my main motivation now is I've seen the world. I want to show my kids the world. Uh, and I hope that can be done very soon. Uh, I, I have a feeling. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I would like, <laughs> honestly, to be an optimist, I would like to see everything go back. But to be a realist. Not going to happen anytime soon. Not going to happen anytime soon. So Andrew, thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing your stories. Um, to be truly honest, and I think the Le Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, uh, I think they found a really good spokesperson for them uh for the man of the year i think uh i don't i don't know anybody else that could be able to be pulling this off so I, i'm i'm grateful for you to be here and being that kind of representative for such a great organization and great charity so thank you thanks john thank you going through hard times is just a test what you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out, listen, out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and family members. If you know of someone who is suffering from depression, please share this with them as well, as it may help them realize that there is help out there and that they are not alone. Also, please be so kind and give us a five-star rating on wherever you may be listening and some comments as your feedback is highly appreciated. Thank you again for supporting our mission to speak out and find solutions about men's mental health issues and stay tuned for more amazing stories from real people that are just like you.